Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Miguel Gonzalez uh, welcoming you and thanking you for joining us for the next 30 minutes, another program of Truth to Live by the radio and television broadcast ministry of Reasons for Faith International Ministries. It is our sincere prayer that the Lord would use this message today to speak to you in a very special way. We will provide our contact information at the end of the program. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and listen to today's message. Talk about the Christian and, and the principle of service in the life of, 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 of the believer. Uh, we, we certainly live in a day and age in which uh, we want the benefits of salvation, we want the benefits of a relationship with Jesus Christ, but we don't, wanna, uh, we don't want the responsibilities that come uh, with, the, with, ha with the benefit of being into, in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the topic today will be uh, the Christian and the principle of uh, service uh, in relation to our, to, our, to our faith with Christ. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, may you speak to us uh, loudly and clearly. Uh, may you speak to us even in ways in which we may be um, convicted so that we may be stirred uh, to service and we may be stirred to faithful living so that you may be able to use us in a great and mighty way uh, for your kingdom. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to uh, probably cover or discuss a couple of things today that may... Uh, may not be the um, the kind of things that we hear in church that often. We should be hearing them in church very often, but we don't because uh, there are topics that tend to make us a little bit more uncomfortable, and uh, uh, there are things that uh, are said that uh, we don't want to hear because it may put us in a position where we may actually have to act in a way that is consistent in terms of living up to our responsibilities and expectations as Christians uh, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Certainly we understand the benefits of being in a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, salvation is uh, obviously at the forefront of, of those benefits. We have been reconciled to God uh, and, 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 and now have a relationship uh, and, and experience peace with God because because of that salvation, but I want you to think of a couple of things. You know, I want you to I want you to draw in your mind a a, a an image of 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 something that I want to share before we actually get into into the meat of the topic. And I want you to think, and 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 if if you ha if you're if if you're a, a Christian, then then then. Uh, this may be applicable to you in a different way than it would be for somebody who is not in a personal relationship with Christ. But non nonetheless, I want you to draw this image in your mind. I want to think about Christ, and I want to think about what Christ has done on our behalf for the entire world. Now, I am a Christian, and I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have trusted Him for my salvation. I have peace with God today. I have been reconciled to God because of the fact that Jesus Christ uh, provided salvation for me through his death. But I want, I want you to draw this image in your mind. Jesus Christ, who the Bible reveals is God, God the Son, the second person of, of, of the Godhead of the Trinity. In eternity past, decides that in order to provide man with salvation, he is going to leave the glory of heaven and come into this world to do though, to do just that. 
Because of the fact that we are sinners, we are incapable of not only saving ourselves, but we're incapable of, provide, of, of contributing to our own salvation. And it is important for us to understand that because that teaches us that our inability to save ourselves leads to something out of us to bring salvation to us. God knew that only He could provide salvation. He knew that only Christ, by coming into this world and dying for sinners, only through that death could people be reconciled to God. Only through the atoning, sacrificial, propitiatory death of Christ would the justice of God be satisfied. Somebody who had never committed a sin had to be the one to die for sinners. I can't die for anybody else's sin because I have to pay for my own sin. Nobody else can die for my sin because they are, have to pay for their own sin. Jesus Christ is presented in Scripture as 100% God, He's deity, and 100% man. He is one who within Him possesses a dual nature or two distinct, let me put it this way, two distinct natures. He has a human nature as well as a divine nature. Now we know that God cannot be killed. Deity cannot cease to exist. God is God and He lives forever. He's lived from eternity past and He will live forever. So if God was going to provide Himself a, 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 a a sacrifice in order to bring salvation to man, somebody was going to have to die and pay for that sin. And that is why Jesus Christ agreed to take upon Himself a human nature and a human body in order to be able to be killed in order to make provision for, 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 for sinful man. Now I want you to get this image. Here is Jesus Christ who is God. Because of His love for humanity, now remember, God created us, and humans are the epitome of God's creation. We are His greatest accomplishment in terms of creation. And He loves us in spite of the fact that we rejected Him and sinned against Him. He knew that because of our sin, unless salvation was provided, all human beings, every single one, would die and, and go to hell in order to pay for their sin forever. But because God loves us so much, He decided that Christ would take upon Himself a human nature and a human body in order to come into the, the world He created and live among the creatures He created in order to provide salvation. Jesus Christ came into the world to reconcile man to God, to provide man salvation. He demonstrated His love, not only through the fact that He came, He was born, but He demonstrates His love ultimately through His death. He loved us to the point into which He was willing to die for us. How do we respond to the love of God? We kill Him. Creatures created their Creator. 
who came to provide them salvation. I want you to draw that image in your mind. God, who is more than anything that we could ever begin to conceive and created us by speaking everything into existence, came into the world, took upon himself a human nature, took upon himself a human body. God lived among man in order to bring salvation to man. And God's creation crucifies the Creator. The wonderful thing about this story is that three days later, this Jesus Christ raises, rises from the dead, demonstrating that God's justice was satisfied through the sacrifice of Christ. Christ made atonement. Christ made propitiation. Christ propitiated, satisfied the justice of God and the, and the, and the demands of God and thus we are able to be saved if, if we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, the point I'm trying to make and, 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 and is this. God gave His very best in order to bring us salvation. God did not spare His own Son. He allowed His very Son to be crucified by His creation in order to bring salvation to those who would come into a personal relationship with Him. That's why there is no other way to be saved. That's why the Bible says that there is no other name uh, under heaven by which we must be saved but the name of Christ. Only Jesus could provide salvation because only Jesus qualified to bring salvation. He was the perfect, sinless, Son of God. And when we think of what God did in order to bring salvation to us, in or, as we realize that He spared nothing to bring salvation, He gave His only begotten Son. When we think of the high cost to God in order to bring salvation to us, we ought to think of the responsibilities that come our way as we enter into this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, why should a Christian serve the living God? I mean, do you really believe that Christ saved me just so that I can partake of the benefits of that salvation but never live up to the expectations and responsibilities that are mine as a Christian? God did not save me so that I could continue to live as I wished without making some contribution to the kingdom of God and to the world in which I live. It is the responsibility of every Christian to make it easier for other people to believe in God. It is my responsibility to be an ambassador, a witness, a testimony for Christ in this world. You see, at the end of life, nothing else is, is, is really going to matter except what you've done with this Jesus and what you did as a Christian. What, you, what profession you had, what you owned materially, how educated you were, where, 
where you lived and in what part of town you lived, all those things will become irrelevant. At the end, when it's all said and done, the only thing that will matter is whether you entered, ever entered into a personal relationship with Jesus or you did not. And for the Christian, the only thing that's going to matter at the end of life is what you did for Christ during this life. You see, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ in which our lives will be evaluated and our works will be rewarded. And although we know that in heaven there will most likely be no tears, I am absolutely convinced that many would shed many at the judgment seat of Christ as they realize that they've lost the rewards they could have had because of their unfaithfulness in serving God in this world. We ought to see serving God not as a duty but as an absolute privilege. We ought not to be complaining to God because He calls us to do something. We ought to be continually praying to God to allow us to do things for Him. It is an absolute blessing and privilege for us to be able to do so. But we don't see it that way. You see, even as Christians, even as conservative Christians, we tend to want to be able to somehow manage God. We want God to be Savior, but we don't necessarily want God to be Lord. You see, we want the benefits of salvation, but we don't want to the responsibilities that come with salvation. And it breaks the heart of God that His own people, those whom He has saved because they've come into a personal relationship with Christ, will not serve Him. And if we don't, who will? Listen, the church is losing credibility every single day that goes by because the church is finding himself rendered ineffective because of their failure to serve. Listen, why should a Christian be motivated to serve the living God? Well, we'll probably be able to cover at this particular point only two of these. But why should a Christian serve the living God. First of all, we must understand that it is an expectation of every Christian to serve. Listen, service is not something that only those in full-time vocation or ministry are called to do. We are all ministers. We are all a royal priesthood. We are all called to be ambassadors. We are all called to be witnesses. We are all called to be uh, uh, um, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all called to live holy lives and righteous lives that point people to the cross and to the saving knowledge of Christ. We are all called to serve. This is an expectation. But there are things that the Bible reveals to us that motivate us to service. And I want to look at a couple of those. There's many, but I want to look at a couple of those. One, if you have a Bible and you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, 
Look at what it says in verse 24. It says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Why should we serve God? Well, because of what he's done for us. Now remember what we were trying to picture earlier when we began this message. The living God of the universe who is so great we can't begin to even define or imagine completely other than through what he has revealed about himself leaves the glory of heaven takes upon himself a human body and a human nature so that he could be in essence killed for our salvation God gives heaven's best for sinners why should we serve the living God? Well, according to this passage, we should serve the living God because of the great things that He has done for us. Do you realize that whether you're a Christian or not, but certainly if you're a Christian, God is blessing you every single day whether you recognize it or not? Think about this. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, do you know that the only reason why you even exist is because God blesses you with the ability to take the very next breath? He allows the rain to come and the sun to shine so that you, an unbeliever, could be fed. And for Christians, listen, God is blessing you every single day. We don't stop at salvation. Certainly that's a great miracle. God has provided for our salvation. What a great thing He has done. But He has not stopped doing great things in the life of His people. Oftentimes we don't recognize His work in our life. We're that egocentric. But he does. Every single day God is lavishing us with his blessings and his miracles. And we ought to serve the living God because of the great things that he has done according to, to 1 Samuel 12, 24. Another reason why we ought to serve the living God is found in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Listen to what Isaiah says. Give me a second, I'll be there. Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 6 through 8. Listen to what Isaiah says. And this has to do with the commissioning, uh, Isaiah's commission. And listen to what he says. I'm actually going to read verses 1 and forward. It says, In the, king of, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting in a th on a throne lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. So far, this is, this is what the story tells us. Listen, here is Isaiah, and he has 
He is permitted to see, not, not, not see God in his fullness, because the Bible says anybody who sees God will die, but whatever it is that God allows him to see of himself, he is absolutely struck, and he sees the seraphim as they all stand there and sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. And when he sees God, this is his evaluation of himself. Listen to what Isaiah says about himself as he sees God. He says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, Isaiah is allowed, permitted to see God, and when he sees God, he sees himself for what he really is, a sinner. And he says, Woe is me. And then in verses, listen to what it says. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, this is Isaiah speaking, with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with, uh, with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity has ta is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Listen. Isaiah sees God, and as he sees God, he recognizes his own sinfulness and says to himself, Woe is me. As God sees Isaiah recognizing himself for who he really is, he sends down a seraphim and tells the seraphim to tell Isaiah, Listen, Isaiah, your iniquity and your sin has been forgiven. And then in verse 8, listen to what Isaiah says. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And this is what Isaiah said. Then I said, Here am I, send me. Listen. Why should a Christian serve the living God? Because God has forgiven the Christian of all his sin and iniquity. Do you know that when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God took your sin and separated it from you as far as the east is from the west, and the Bible declares to us not that God forgot your sin, but that he chooses not to remember your sin again. You will go to heaven as a Christian, not because you are righteous or because you are worthy, but because the righteousness of Jesus has become your own. And when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, and that causes you to be worthy of, the, of, of, of heaven. Listen, Isaiah sees God, whatever it is that he sees. And... I can only assume, I can only picture in my mind the physical reaction of Isaiah as he sees God and he recognizes his own sinfulness. I mean, he was struck by God's holiness and righteousness and purity and was struck by his own filth, sin and uncleanness and says, Woe am I. Woe am I. But God in His grace and in His mercy delivers to Isaiah the same message He delivers to us 
through Jesus Christ. Your sin, Isaiah, your iniquity, Isaiah, has been forgiven. You have been cleansed by the living God. How was Isaiah saved? The same way we are saved, by grace through faith in Christ. Yes, I know Christ didn't come into, into the world, but thousands of years after. Isaiah was still saved the same way I was saved. I just looked back to the cross. Isaiah was looking forward to the cross. Isaiah placed his trust and faith in the coming Messiah, just like I placed my trust and faith in the Messiah that already came, died, and rose again. And when he realizes that God has forgiven him of his sin and has cleansed him from iniquity, and when he experiences the peace of God and the reconciliation that comes as a result of, 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 of that forgiveness, he hears the voice, uh, as, as, as the passage says, he hears the voice of God saying, Whom shall I say? This is... Let me just say this. He says, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? You know what? Why do, you, why do you suppose he asked that question? I mean, God is omniscient, isn't he? God is all-knowing. Don't you think God already knew the answer to that question before he asked it? Sure he did. He didn't ask who it was that was going to serve him because he didn't know who was going to serve him. He was asking the question so that the one who said he would serve would know he would be the one to serve. Listen, this is the issue that we have as Christians today. And this is the thing that we don't recognize as he did. We don't belong to ourselves. We have been bought at a price. Jesus Christ shed his lifeblood for our salvation. He bought us. He purchased us with His blood. We no longer belong to ourselves. Paul said, listen, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My own old self was nailed and crucified with Christ. The life that I now live is the life Christ lives in and through me. But you know what we do? Every time God says, I want you to do this for me, or I want you to serve me here or there, or in this capacity or in another, we actually tell God that we will think about it. And that we'll get back to Him at some point after we have decided whether it's something we want to do or not. As if we had the right to do so. Listen. It is God's expectation that we serve Him. And we serve Him because of the great things that He has done for us and continues to do for us. And we serve Him because of the forgiveness He has provided through the death of Christ for our sin. We don't tell God what He's permitted to ask us to do we just simply thank God for the fact that He has asks, asked us to do anything. But you see, somehow, the things that we want to do in our own egocentric life, in our selfish life, is more important than what God wants us to do and for the reason for which He saved us. 
Service is an expectation and that's what we ought to be doing because of what he's done and because of the forgiveness he's extended. Father, we thank you for this time. We give you all the glory. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for Jesus who shed his blood. May we be a people who recognizes that we are alive today to serve you and bring you honor and glory, for it is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, we've reached the end of our program for today. Once again, it has been a blessing and a privilege for us to be able to spend the 30 minutes that we have with you uh, talking about the Lord Jesus and discussing and learning more and more about the Word of God. Indeed, there is no more nobler endeavor in life than to do those things which bring us closer and closer to our God, to our Lord, and to our Creator. Again, we want to remind you that Truth to Live By is a listener-supported ministry. The only reason we remain on the air each week is because of your prayers and your financial contributions. Would you please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry as we continue to teach the Word of God and to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, if you want to order any of our programs on CD, you can do so uh, for a suggested donation of $5 to help with the cost of production, shipping, and handling. We do need you to specify the uh, date and the call letters of the station on which you heard the program. If you have the title of the program, that would certainly help as well, but particularly the date and call letters of the station on, when you, on which you heard us. Any, any requests for materials from the ministry need to be done in writing and that needs to be sent to the P.O. Box. But I'll also give you other pieces of contact information here. If you want to reach us by email, you can send us an email to truthtoliveby at rffiministries.org. You can call us at 704-778-3759 or send us correspondence or order requests to uh, Truth to Live by Post Office Box 23688 Charlotte, North Carolina, 28227. Thank you and God bless you.